Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining for another edition of our greatest of all time series. Today, we are going to go to the top 10 catchers of all time as voted on by the Baseball Life Facebook group. And with me is my pal, Kevin Miller, who is now joining, actually, the uh, podcast, the Total Bases Podcast Fantasy League that's coming up, uh, our newest member. So it's good to good to have you on and uh, good to have you playing in the league and good to have you on the show. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing all right, man. I'm uh, looking forward to, to hopefully not embarrassing myself in the Fantasy League. We'll, we'll see. The, the Fantasy League last year, it was... It was, we had some crazy stuff. Felipe, Carlos, and I ran pretty much the gauntlet. We we were like we were like the best teams for most of it. But then Angel, who's in the chat right now, actually Angel, who won like three games all year long because everybody made the playoffs. Um, everybody made the playoffs that year. Um, Angel, who won like three games, ended up getting all the way up to the semis and losing to Felipe in the semi semifinals and got fourth. So anything could happen in this league. His guys got hot, man. They just got hot. That's exactly what happened. It did. I mean, his team looked better than looked better on paper than the, than the record showed. He just, he had some really bad luck. He, he, I think he lost, I think he counted. He had like eight or nine losses by like one category and it was like super close every time. So um, I'll never forget in 2012, my fantasy league, I went undefeated regular season. mm -hmm. Um, I actually picked up Mike Trout as a free agent like the second week of April because yeah. I heard he was about to get called up and we know how that went. Right. Uh, so I, I went undefeated. Right. And I make it all the way to the final game and I'm going up against a guy who finished 500 for the year and he beat the absolute crap out of me. <laughs> so Don't you I, hate I, it? Go, I went 20 and 0 or whatever in the regular season, won my first two playoff rounds. And then I lose to a guy who literally went 500 for the year. Don't you hate it? I hate that. That's terrible. <laughs> the, so when I first start, I only started playing fantasy about, I don't know, three years ago now, I think. And uh, the first league I ever played in was a, uh, it was a newbie league with, and, and Felipe was actually the commissioner of that league. And uh, you know, that's when I was listening to the total basis podcast. And um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I kind of learned from them and picked, picked stuff up from them. And I was playing Felipe in the, in the newbie league and, you know, a bunch of other people, I ended up making it to the championship game uh, with Felipe of that, uh, of that league. And Felipe and I tied, no, it was the semifinals. Felipe and I tied in the semi, in the semifinal game. And, wow. um, the only reason that Felipe won was because he was home team. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah. He, oh, he had home field advantage. So he won. And um, the net, cause I remember because the next week I had the consolation, the third place game. And, um, and of course, Felipe and whoever else was in the championship. Felipe ended up winning the championship. And that week I scored more points than anybody out of all four teams that were playing. I scored more. Hmm. Oh, and there's cruel Melvin. world fantasy sports. Cruel yeah, world. Melvin will tell will tell you about Suplex City and all that stuff. Anyway, um, so you're gonna you're gonna get to hear that. So let's get to our top ten catchers of all time. So right off the top here, I think this list is probably a little different, and catchers is probably hard to distinguish. Right? It's hard to it's it's hard to have a 
one line of who's a great catcher and who's not because I think everybody has a different uh, opinion of what a catcher, what a good catcher looks like, right? I put more of an emphasis on defense at catcher than any other position, even shortstop, because catcher, you're in the game the whole time. You're in every pitch. You got to be on point the whole time. And if you're not a good fielding, if you're not a good fielding catcher, even if you're a decent fielding catcher, in my opinion, you're looking at like Gary Sanchez. And the only way to make up for your defensive woes is you got to have like, you got to have better. um, You got to have a really good offense, right? To back it up. But even then, if you have a really good offense and you're not that great of a defensive catcher, you 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 get moved you get moved out of catcher you know you look you start looking somebody like Kyle Schwarber who started as a catcher and now is a left fielder because he just wasn't that good as a defensive catcher um so what did you take into consideration when you were making your list here for catchers cuz i always think this is an interesting conversation yeah i think it's a lot of a lot of factors you know obviously with any position in baseball you do look at offense you know somebody who's a miserable offensive player you know, you think somebody like Jeff Mathis, who's just really bad offensively, but was elite at times defensively, they're never going to sniff a list like this. Yeah. However, you also can't have a guy who was really good offensively, but like you said, like Schwarber had to be moved from the position. They were so bad defensively. Yeah. And I know Schwarber had a little bit of health stuff too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tore, tore his ACL, I believe. Um, but I think you have to you have to do a, a good job, kind of like at shortstop and, and even center field to a certain degree. You have to do a good job of balancing the offense and the defense. But then there's another factor that most people, uh, unless they played baseball, they don't really consider, uh, and that's game calling. Yes. Uh, it's really hard to determine that for really old school guys, but especially in the modern era, game calling is so important. When you're talking about catchers, they essentially – uh, act as the pitching coach during the game. I know the pitching coaches exist and they play a role, but in game catchers, at least good ones act as pitching coaches during the game. And they're the ones who generally call the pitches. They're the ones that frame pitches, which is an important thing now, you know, maybe one day when they have robo umps, that won't be a factor, but right now framing is a big deal. Uh, and they also are the ones that kind of, control the temperament of their pitchers on the mound, calling timeout, uh, having mound visits, uh, asking for new baseballs, little things like that. So game calling is a big deal uh, that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about some tonight. And I really, uh, I really have learned something in the last couple of minutes. I checked the chat and uh, the Angel Morales standard is maybe something we need to consider. Uh, we have to look. We have to look and see if a catcher is small but with a big dad belly. So, so maybe we just need to reevaluate this whole list and judge it based on are they kind of small but with a dad belly. I mean, number one be Alejandro Kirk. I mean, it's got to be Alejandro Kirk number one, right? I don't know if that's a dad belly as much as that's just a dad belly. <laughs> My, man, okay. my man's my man's thick 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 good hitter though real good hitter. oh yeah oh, um yeah. yeah i mean i played catcher for a long time and that's exactly what it is you know pitchers get a lot of credit and don't get me wrong there are pitchers out there that are great and you got to be able to ex- execute your stuff out there but i think catchers don't get enough credit 
because they're the ones calling the pitches. It's not the pitchers calling the pitches. Yeah, I shake them off every once in a while, but the catchers are the one that know the 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 scouting reports. The catchers are the ones that know what pitch they should probably throw. And they're the ones calling that you're right. They're the ones calling the pitches. They're the ones calling the temperament of the game. They got to control the running game. They got to make sure all the other fielders are in the right spot because yeah, shortstop is the captain in the infield, but once he turns around, he can't see what the outfield's going, what the outfield's doing. And so that, you know, the, the catcher is the one that sees the whole thing. So game management, in my opinion, that's just, you know, we talk about untouchables and a lot of, and a lot of, statistical guys will say, oh, untouchables, they don't worry. I only worry about what's on the paper. But and sometimes in some cases, yeah. But in this case, with catching, you got to take that into consideration. You have to, because there is more value in the untouchables of a catcher than there's what than there's what is on the piece of paper for for the most part. And I think we're going to talk about some of those guys in this top 10. Um, that the untouchables are what make them great, right? So um, let's get straight into it. Then we're gonna we're gonna talk about our top ten catchers of all time, uh, starting with our as always our just missed the cut, uh, our just missed the cut people. So our first five that just missed the cut, and some of these I was a little surprised. Um, just missed the cut at eleventh, Buster Posey, number twelve, Thurman Munson. 13th was Mickey Cochran, Joe Maurer was 14th, and Gabby Hartnett was 15th. In my mind, this, the list that, what surprised me the most, Buster Posey fell out of the top 10. Not only was he a great game manager, he was good offensively as well and good, he was good all around in the, in the untouchables, the defense and the offense, if I, if I remember him correctly. Not only that, he was a popular player. So the fact he fell out of the top 10, I was really, really surprised with, um, what about you? Was was Buster Posey the surprise for you, or were you su- were you surprised at others in this in this uh, grouping here? Yeah, I was a little surprised with Posey and Mauer, to be honest. You know, very similar uh, careers, except uh, Mauer when he moved to first base, he kind of stayed there. You know, Posey moved to first, but then came back once he got healthy. Right. You know, they they were both really good catchers who uh, each won an MVP. Um, they were very good offensively, very good game callers, both very handsome. Let's be honest, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Posey and Maurer uh, did not make the list. Uh, I, I'm a little bit surprised at how high Thurman Munson is. I think a lot of that is is the New York factor. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Yankee fans out there. Uh, and then, of course, his tragic death adds to his um, his legacy, his mystique almost. You know, he was a very good catcher. Don't get me wrong, very good. But I don't think I'd have him quite as high as 12th uh, based on what actually happened. Maybe if you want to include some of the what if, like if he was able to keep uh, keep playing. Um, but And Gabby Hartnett, underrated career uh, that people don't talk about nearly so much. I don't mind him not being in the top 10 but uh, just wanted to give him a little shout out as well. Yeah. You know, what's, you know, what's underrated Buster Posey's acting ability. I've always loved his commercials. He's always great. Any commercial that he was ever in. So uh, underrated actor there, Buster, Buster Posey um, with an athlete. They can either act or they can't. Peyton Manning is hilarious. Buster Posey is a good actor. There's others that they're not good. 
So um, let's get into our top 10. So our number 10 catcher of all time is Bill Dickey. Bill Dickey spent 17 years with the Yankees from 1928 to 1943 and then came back for one more season in 1946. Um, he played in 1,789 career games. He's tied for 84th in career average at 313. Um, he's got a 126 weighted runs created plus 56.1 war. And with catchers, I tried to encapsulate a little bit of, because we, we talked about how catchers are a little different and it's different. It, it, it was difficult for me, but I decided that I was going to also throw in caught stealing percentage. That doesn't encapsulate their defense at all because you got to you got to do framing. You got, and then there's other aspects of the running game that they that they have and things like that. But you know, caught stealing percentage is can you throw runners out if you if you can't throw any runners out behind the plate? What use are you behind the plate? So I thought it would be really interesting to kind of throw caught stealing percentage in there. Um, uh, Bill Dickey threw out 47% of runners, um, and he made 11 all-star appearances and won the World Series eight times with the Yankees. Uh, we talk about Yogi Berra and all of the championships he won with the Yankees. Bill Dickey is no slouch either when it comes to the rings. He's almost got two full hands of rings. Um, so Bill Dickey starts us off at number 10. What is your take here on uh, on Bill Dickey at number 10 there, Kevin? Well, you look at at first you, you look at the caught stealing number and you see that's, that's a really, really good number. Um, one of the, one of the best of all time. Um, I I've heard a story before where Whitey Ford, who played a little bit after Bill Dickey um, said that whenever uh, Bill Dickey would come back around to the Yankees, he would always learn something about pitching from Bill Dickey. Anytime he would come back and he would, uh, he would say anything uh, to the pit, to the team, to the pitchers, uh, that he would learn uh, from Bill Dickey. And that, that's high praise coming from a Hall of Fame pitcher who had a Hall of Fame catcher of his own in Yogi Berra. Yep. Uh, I don't think he meant it as a slight to Berra at all, uh, but just as a compliment to Bill Dickey. Um, but he also, you know, he wasn't an offensive slouch either when you see, you know, 313 batting average. I know batting average isn't the end-all, be-all of statistics, but to have a 313 career batting average as a catcher especially in those days where yeah. I'm sure he didn't get very many days off. You know, that that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with Bill Dickey being in the top 10. Uh, he was, he was excellent and, and an absolute winner. I know in baseball, we don't talk about players being winners as much as we do in other sports, but to win eight world series, that's an accomplishment. Right. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Being in that many championship teams, you got to have done something right. Right. Um, yeah, and we're not going to see very many of these of these catchers break the record books or be in the top 100 of anything um, in terms of offensive because for the longest time and even still today, uh, catcher is not an offensive position; it's a defensive position, which is why you got to value defense a little bit more than 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 catching. Um, and Bill Dickey starts us off here at number ten. At number nine, probably a very much contest, a very highly contested uh, player here to be on this list depending on whether you like him or not. Number nine, Yadier Molina. Yadi spent 19 years with the Cardinals from 2004 to his last season in 2022. He played 2,224 games behind the plate, and he hit for a career 277 average, 327 OBP and a 399 slugging, 97 weighted runs created, plus 55.7 war, 40% caught stealing percentage. I was actually surprised that it was... 
it was I thought it was going to be higher, especially with the sweet throwing arm that he's got. Uh, he's got 10 all-star appearances, nine gold gloves. And actually, with as with his, you know, little bit lackluster um offense, he won the 2013 Silver Slugger. So good for him. Um, but I agree with Yadier Molina at number nine. And the reason why I agree with Yadier Molina at number nine is because a lot of people say that he was better or that there were a lot of a lot of players that were better than him offensively. You know, there were catchers that were better than him offensively and and you know, but in my mind Yadi is the best um the best complete defensive catcher that we've ever seen or even especially in this generation because yeah, the caught stealing number is at 40%. But think about the other aspects of catching. And I, I'll give credit to Melvin, who's who's in the who's in the chat right now. Um Melvin, uh, Melvin and I were actually discussing Yadier Molina, and, and he goes, When you look at the Cardinal starters with Yadi compared to Cardinal starters with anybody else behind the plate, their ERA is a whole point, is a whole run below, is a whole run lower with Yadi behind the plate. So that really speaks to the way that Yachty handles the game and he controlled the running game like nobody's business. I don't remember another catcher with a reputation of you just don't run on this dude because he will throw you out. And that that's a reputation that Yachty Ermelina had. He's a great game caller, great blocker, defensively was just a fantastic catcher. And if you look at his prime, he was a serviceable bat. He was just above average. Yes, he's ha- he's had a you know career over the span of his career. He's had he it's obviously below average in terms of some stats, but in his prime, he had he had actually above average um, hitting statistics. So I'm good with Yadier Molina at number nine. I am good with Yadier Molina being in the top ten here. I you know right around here is probably good because you got other players that. Yeah, all right, their offense trumps him a little bit. But I have no problem with Yadier Molina at number nine, and I would even be okay if he was a little bit higher. What is your take here on you? Because Yadi is a very um, – you either love him or you don't. So where where are you in terms of Yadier Molina, Kevin? As far as this list is concerned, I, I think Yadier Molina pl- probably belongs at the back end of the top ten. You know, I can see the argument for keeping him out based on his overall offensive statistics. Uh, but w- when we're considering defense, we have to remember, especially specifically with the caught stealing numbers, we have to remember that caught stealing should be a pitcher stat as well. Yes. Uh, some of his pitchers, uh, you know, I think of Adam Wainwright as great as he is. Adam Wainwright is not as quick to the plate as a lot of other pitchers in baseball. I'm sure that has cost Yadier Molina. Uh, several stolen bases, considering they, uh, they've they been a battery more than anyone else, uh, I believe, in the history of baseball. Isn't that right? No, that no is, one else. Yeah. yeah. And and two, you don't get credit for a caught stealing when you pick somebody off of first base, which Yadier Molina, according to a, a stat I saw not too long ago, uh, has done more than anyone in the history of baseball, was picking someone off at first base from the catcher's spot. Um, so if, if you take those things into consideration, you're probably talking another percentage point or two higher on that caught stealing number. It still doesn't bring him quite to the level of Bill Dickey and maybe a couple other guys, but it makes it a little bit closer. 
And, uh, and I think Yachty is a guy who, despite having 2,000 hits for his career, uh, is better known for his defense, and I think that's appropriate. I think, I think he is one of the probably top five defensive catchers of all time. I think you can make a pretty good argument for top three. Uh, so I don't have an issue with Yadier Molina being at nine, you know, toward the back end of the top 10. Um, I, I think, I think the offensive numbers will, will skew some people's opinions for sure. And, you know, maybe if they really hate neck tattoos, they might bring him down a little bit. Or if they're a Cubs fan. Yeah. Or Cubs fans, Cubs fans do hate Yachty. Um, (laughs) but you know, if I were a Cubs fan, I'd hate him too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but an interesting thing about the Molinas, uh, if you ever get them confused is that they all have Benjamin in their name. So it's, it's, yeah, it's Yadier Benjamin Molina. It's Jose Benjamin Molina. And then for Benji, it's Benjamin Jose Molina. So if you ever get the Molinas confused, don't feel bad. It's actually kind of confusing, but uh, Yadier is, is definitely the best of the bunch. Uh, I know the, the other, the other Molinas were, were good players in their own right, but the, the baby brother was definitely the best. Although Jose Molina was the one that really got the whole framing part of catching. He's the one that really got that to catch fire. And Jose in his time was really good at framing pitches. And that was why he had such a long career was because he could frame pitches. Um, and now he's catching coach for the angels. So there you go. Um, so, Let's get into number eight, our number eight catcher of all time, better than Yadier Molina, Roy Campanella. Roy Campanella spent an 18-year career with the elite Giants, both in Washington and Baltimore, the Philadelphia Stars, which both of those are Negro League teams, and then he played um, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. His MLB, or no, actually, this is his whole career, including his um, Negro League stats. He played in 1,432 games. He had a 500 slugging percentage for a catcher. That's 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 pretty good. 123 rated runs created plus um, a 38.2 WAR career. 38.2 WAR, um, and his caught stealing percentage with Brooklyn. They didn't have it for the Negro Leagues, but for Brooklyn was 57. percent He threw out 252 runners out of 453 that stole. Um, he had 11 All Star appearances. Both, uh, you know, that's total in um, elite are with Negro leagues and uh, the MLB. And then he won the 1951, 1953 and 1955 NL or the MVP um, Roy at number eight. Now um, we're going to have, we're going to have a couple of these with the Negro leagues and the Negro league numbers, you know, obviously they're, they're not as well kept as the major league uh, uh, books have been. Um, so, you know, there's still some, questions around some of these numbers and also the sample size is not as big because the Negro leagues didn't play as many games as, 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 as the MLB did, but Roy Campanella in himself proved that he could transfer over and be successful in the MLB. Um, you know, I mean, his caught stealing percentage, he threw out a a wide number of runners. He was a great hitter, power hitter in his own right. Three-time MVP, no problem with Roy Campanella, um, being, being on here. Um, what is your take on Roy Campanella at number eight on this list? Campanella is a little bit of another, uh, what if story, right? You know, if he doesn't get hurt in that car accident, uh, his career in major league baseball, um, might be a little bit longer, but it definitely would have been healthier. You know, he was a, he was a guy who, 
um, when he was healthy and right was absolutely dominant. Um, he was, uh, I mean, a three-time MVP. That doesn't happen by accident. You know, he was he was regarded as, uh, well, he had a strong throwing arm, but he was regarded as potentially the fastest pop time ever uh, at the time that he was playing, just out of his crouch, too ready to throw. Might have been faster than anybody who had ever played up to that point. And, you know, there were some, there were some really good players. You know, he played at the time of, that Yogi Berra played. He played right after Bill Dickey, uh, Josh Gibson, uh, guys like that had, had played already to this point. And Campanello was considered to have the fastest pop time of all of them, which is a very impressive uh, bit of praise that that's heaped on him. And, uh, you know, his offensive production, especially early on in, in his career, was just was just really good. Um I don't mean to interrupt you, but for for those of you that don't know what pop time is, pop time is the time that uh, the time in which the catcher will catch the ball from the pitcher and throw it and make it down to the second base or down to the middle infielder's glove down at second base glove to glove is the time. So that's just, you know, um, usually a good pop time is somewhere probably around low two seconds, high one second. So you're looking at, I think Yachty's was timed at about like one eight, one seven, something like that seconds, 1.7 seconds. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. That's a good, good inclusion. I caught as well. So I sometimes take for granted that people might not know uh, what terms mean, but, but yeah, the fact that he was known during his time as having the best pop time of all of them speaks to how good he was defensively. In addition to his offensive prowess that we can see, you know, hard, fast black and white statistics for. So I, I don't have an issue with Campanella here. I think he would have been even higher. Um, had he not uh, not gotten hurt, uh, I think he would have pretty easily risen up this list a few spots. Yeah. Um, thank you to Melvin in the chat. He's saying 2.1 is the MLB average. 2.1 seconds is the MLB average pop time. So um, he's also in there saying that Jose Molina is a great manager in the uh, in the winter leagues. Um, yeah. So Angel is in there too, talking about Benito Santiago's throw from uh, throw to second from his knee down was also awesome to look at. So it was, it was, (laughs) it was a good throw. Uh, We got good chat going on today. All right. So we're moving on to our number seven. Our number seven is Carlton Fisk. Carlton Fisk played a 24 year career with both Sox, the Red Sox and the White Sox. He played in 1969 and then came back 1971 and played until 1993. And this to me speaks for his durability, he played in the 61st most games all time, 2,499. You know, for, for him to be a catcher and play that many games is a lot. That's that's pretty good. Um, he's got a 117 weighted runs created plus, 70th all-time in war at 68.3. He has a lower caught stealing percentage than any of the other people we've seen, 34%. He's made 11 all-star appearances. One, uh, he, he won the rookie of the league in 1972 and has won three silver sluggers. Carlton Fisk at number seven, uh, many, um, Red Sox moments, I believe Kevin, if I'm not, if I'm correct, isn't Carlton Fisk the one that, um, he, he waved the, he waved the home run over in, in, in the playoffs, didn't he? Isn't yeah, he did. I, I believe yeah. it's in the world series. Yeah. yeah world series video. He's, he's jumping up and down, waving waving his arms because he knows the ball's going over the fence. He's yeah. just not sure if it's going to be fair. And, right. and they affectionately call that foul pole 
uh, which we should really call fair poles. Yeah, I agree. If you hit it, it's fair. So it should be called a fair pole. But anyway, he was willing it fair. And so they affectionately call that pole Fisk's pole, uh, which is, which is a pretty cool honor. Um, But Carlton Fisk is a guy who was, uh, who was an offensive catcher, really. Um, He, he, I'm sure he had some good defensive moments. I'm not taking that away from him, but I know he had a reputation for being easy to run on. And we see that with the numbers here, only 34% caught stealing percentage. I know the Yankees in particular uh, used to run on him a lot. I mean, just the attempts, almost 2000 attempts in his career. Right. So you can tell, you can tell people are intentionally trying to run against Carlton Fisk. You don't, you don't have 2000, uh, 2000 steal attempts uh, go against you if you don't have a reputation for being easy to run on. Yeah. But uh, he was a good offensive player. Uh, elite at times he has I, I believe other than Barry Bonds he has the most home runs post age 40 uh, I know that was the case at one point I think it is still the case which is which is an amazing stat for a catcher yeah. you're talking about his longevity a catcher's knees are usually shot by the time they're 30 let alone 40 yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing that he had home that many home runs I believe it was 70 something home runs after the age of 40 just an incredible feat but i will say i lose a little bit of respect for anyone who uh, is unwilling to name their kid their exact name but they basically do it with a name that sounds the same carlton fisk named his daughter carlin so carlton fisk's daughter is carlin fisk it's like if you want to do that just name your kid your name and call him junior (laughs) don't don't try to disguise it you have an ego it's okay (laughs) i lost a little bit of respect for carlton fisk with that but a great player he belongs on this list uh, somewhere somewhere on the back half definitely i think but he belongs on this list a great offensive player uh, with tremendous longevity maybe probably not actually not maybe definitely the the most durable and uh yeah, uh, longest career that we've seen for catchers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're looking at a 24 year career as a catcher, uh, so these other guys that we're seeing are playing 15, 16 years. He played 24. He played another eight years after that. So that's just it's it's crazy to me that he's in the top 100 of games played. And you you talked about it, the durability of the catcher's knees and knees. It's just it takes it takes it out of you. I mean, I only played I only played catcher for five six years, and my knees creak. So, you know, it's like, dang. So anyway, yep, Carlton. And, is- and it would have been 25 years, except he missed 1970. Yeah, he did. He missed 1970. My um, guess is he was he he got sent back down to the minor leagues is what I'm guessing. I, it didn't say what, what he missed the 1970 season for. So um, number seven, Carlton Fisk. We're moving right along to our O. Oh, and thank you to Melvin and, and, and uh, Angel. Man, they're right on top of it in the chat. That moment was the 1975 World Series game six. So that's uh, right there. Thank you, guys. Uh, we're going to move into our number six catcher of all time, Josh Gibson, our first and only Negro leaguer to make any of these lists. Uh, Josh Gibson spent a 14-year career all in the Negro Leagues with the Memphis Red Sox, the Pittsburgh Crawfers, and the Homestead Grays. Um, he played in 1930 and then again in 1933 to 1940 and then again in 1942 to 1946. He played in 598 career games, but look, listen to this slash line, 374 batting average, the highest that we've seen out of anybody in a career. 
458 on base percentage and a 720 slugging percentage. He has a career OPS plus. Now, I know we've been doing weighted runs created plus, but because he wasn't in the M- uh, he wasn't in the MLB, I had to look on baseball reference and they do OPS plus. They don't do weighted runs created plus, but it's the same idea as weighted runs created plus. A 214 OPS plus. That is a banana statistic. That is crazy. A 38.6 war in 500 and 600 games, 38.6 war. He made 12 all-star teams and won the triple crown in the Negro leagues in 1936 and 1937. Many of, um, Many people know him as probably, or many people have heralded him as the Babe Ruth of the Negro Leagues. And and some people say he might've even had more power than Babe Ruth. And I mean, the numbers show it. Now, I think the reason why he's as low as he is on the list is because again, we talked about how Negro League numbers, they weren't kept as well as um, the MLB numbers. And so they might be skewed a little bit. And a lot of the records from the Negro leagues are, are, are not, are, they can't be found. They're not existent. Um, but, um, and Melvin is adding in here that he was one of the first superstars in the Puerto Rican uh, winter league. So we went overseas to play baseball. Um, he, um, he got sick. Um, I can't remember what he got sick from, but whatever he was sick from, he 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 ended up passing away of that of that sickness um took him too early um but josh gibson everything that you read about him he's got the lore of being the of being probably one of the greatest power hitters that the game has ever seen and it's a shame that we never got to see if he could if he could play in the mlb um because i would have loved to see a guy like this play and see if his power transferred over to the MLB. And if his numbers in the Negro Leagues are what they are, I think he could have been right up there. Um, it's just a great thing to see. Um, so uh, I'll see the floor to you, Kevin. What was your um, research and uh, take on Josh Gibson here? So just real quick, his death was from a brain tumor. Brain tumor. I knew, um, I knew it had something yeah. to do with his, his head. Yeah, he, he died in his 30s um, from that brain tumor. Um, but I, I have a bit of a, a bit of a unique perspective on the the Josh Gibson uh, legacy, so to speak. When I was when I was really young, uh, gosh, I was probably only seven years old or something. I met and spoke to a very elderly Buck O'Neill, um, and then when I was a teenager, um, I met and spoke to Dennis Biddle. And those two were, I think, pretty clearly the the two ex-Negro League um, guys who were the biggest historians of the game um, with in, in thinking of the Negro Leagues. And they both said the same thing to me, pretty much unprompted. And they said that, that they, didn't, they didn't think that a lot of the players from the Negro Leagues could come over to Major League Baseball because the game was so different. It was just a different style. But they both gave the very clear and definitive caveat that Josh Gibson would have been able to. They made it very clear that they believed that Josh Gibson could have come over and been an excellent catcher at, uh, in Major League Baseball. You know, he was known as 
like you said, as the black Babe Ruth. Uh, when Ruth heard that, uh, Ruth said, well, that's ridiculous. And people thought he was, you know, he was, for lack of a better way to put it, being a hater. But he said, no, that's ridiculous. I can never catch like Josh Gibson. <laughs> so <laughs> Babe Ruth and actually Ty Cobb, who gets a bit of a, a bit of a negative uh, reputation, which he earned at times, if we're being honest. But Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb both were actually championing for Josh Gibson to be able to come over to Major League Baseball. It never obviously ended up happening, um, but it, that's a that's a cool nugget to see that some of the greatest uh, players in Major League Baseball saw how great Josh Gibson was and wanted him to compete uh, in their league. And uh, he, was, he was a guy you mentioned just had prodigious power, right? A guy who, when they would when they would have their barnstorming games, yeah. which if you're unfamiliar with that, that's it was mostly popular in the Negro leagues where they would essentially tell the pitchers, "Hey, fastballs only," and it was to to get big crowds and to get people excited. But in the barnstorming games, they they claim that Josh Gibson would routinely, not just every now and then, but r- routinely hit 500 foot home runs, which is just absolutely crazy to think that anybody could do that routinely. But uh, that, that's, that's how the stories go, right? That they, they say that Josh Gibson had that kind of power. Yeah. So it, it's really difficult and probably unfair to everybody, Josh Gibson and, uh, and the Major League Baseball players both, to try to put Gibson uh, in, in the list and think you could do so accurately. You know, you can make the argument for he's too high, he's too low. It's hard to say, but Josh Gibson as a talent certainly belongs on this list. He's, oh, a, he's a guy that I, th- I think would have been able to compete and compete at a very high level and would have been on this list if he would have played in the major leagues as well. I, I agree with that. Um, you know, especially when you're looking at the numbers that we have and the lore that we have and so many people saying that, oh yeah, Josh Gibson was as good as everybody says he is, you know, from people that saw him play, you know, you, you, you can't help but believe that he would be that good. Um, have you ever watched the movie uh, Soul of the Game? Uh, I have not. I have so, not. so Soul of the Game is a TV movie that came out, I believe, in like the 80s or the 90s. And it's about the it's about Negro League players. It it has um uh Satchel Page in it, it has uh um Jackie Robinson when he played in it, um, and it features Josh Gibson quite a bit. Um, it follows more Satchel Page than it does Josh Gibson, but Josh Gibson is in it a lot. And uh, the guy that I can't remember his name, the guy that plays Bubba from uh, Forrest Gump plays Josh Gibson. And um, oh, I can a, see that. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Um, when we when Baseball Life had our uh, had our movie um, baseball best baseball movie bracket, um, Soul of the Game actually took down um, The Natural as a better movie. Um, it, it, you got to watch it. It's such a good movie and it depicts Josh Gibson, um, and talk and, you know, at the end talks about his brain tumor and, and all of that stuff. So it's a really good movie. I, I recommend it. It's one of the only movies that I've ever seen. And I think it's one of the only movies that features Josh Gibson or Negro league players of any stature. So yeah, um, that and, uh, bingo longs traveling all-star. Big, big, yep. Bingo <laughs> longs traveling all-stars. Um, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I want to watch the movie again now. Um, so let's move right along from Josh Gibson into our top five, ca- uh, greatest catchers of all time. Starting at number five, Mike Piazza, Mike Piazza spent a 16 year career with the Dodgers Marlins, 
Mets, Padres, and A's from 1992 to 2007. Excuse me. He played 1,912 career games. He's tied for 30th all time with a 545 slugging percentage. Um, And a 308 career average to boot is pretty good for a catcher. A 140 weighted runs created plus is good for 65th all time. He's tied for 94th all time in war at 63.7. But he's only really known for his offense, his defense. He wasn't a defensive catcher by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Only a 23% caught stealing percentage. And most people around the league will tell you that Mike Piazza was, he wasn't known for his defense. He was definitely in, 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 in lineups for his, for his bat. He's uh, played on 12 all-star teams, won the 1993 rookie of the year and, and won 10 silver sluggers. Um, Did you know, Kevin, that Mike Piazza is the godson of Tommy Lasorda? I did. I've actually got a story about that if, okay. if you're not going to tell it already. Oh, go ahead. Tell it. Yeah. So Tommy Lasorda and Mike Piazza's father uh, were really good friends. And so much to the point that uh, one of Mike Piazza's brother was actually the godson, like you mentioned, uh, of Tommy Lasorda. And so then the rest of the brothers kind of became godsons as well. Uh, and in the last round that the Dodgers uh, were picking in the Major League Baseball draft of, I guess that was 89, maybe. Yeah. Uh, they drafted Mike Piazza because Tommy Lasorda was like, hey, Piazza's, he's my bud. Let's draft his, his son, send him to A ball. We'll cut him after a year. And that's, <laughs> that's uh, obviously not how it went down because Mike Piazza started absolutely destroying the ball in, in the minors to the point where he got, you know, eventually called up to, to the Dodgers and then had a, a Hall of Fame level career. Uh, and it's kind of wild to think that uh, it was only done as a favor to his dad because yeah. Tommy Lasorda was uh, really good friends with his father and, and was his godfather and all of that. And, and even in to, like today, the round that Mike Piazza was chosen in doesn't even exist. Yeah. So when, when you think about that, it, it's another you know, crazy thing. Like he might not have been playing baseball at all. Uh, and when you think of Mike Piazza and his, his place on the all-time list as catchers, I think you have to you have to judge two things mainly, right? One, you do look at the defense. He was a pretty good pitch framer, but everything else about defense, he was really bad at, if we're being honest. Not just kind of bad, but really bad. And 23% caught stealing speaks for itself. But then you also got to you, you gotta answer the PED question. Mike Piazza is a guy who – uh, it's a little bit complicated. It's like McGuire. It's like Bagwell. He took Andro, which was not illegal uh, at the time that he took it. It was not considered an anabolic steroid at the time, but it became uh, illegal in baseball and then was added to the anabolic steroid list. And then we don't know if Piazza continued to use it after that point. There are sports writers who claim that he did. Uh, in fact, David O'Brien, who's the current beat writer for the Braves, former beat writer for the Marlins, said that he saw the, the Andro in Mike Piazza's locker during his eight game. I think it was eight game stint with the Marlins. He saw it in his locker. Um, so there are people out there who report that he did continue to use the Andro even after it became illegal to use in baseball. Uh, so you do have to answer the, the PED question with Piazza as much as he was an offensive you know, superstar, really, 
you, you have to decide what you think uh, about his, his use of, of Andrew. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, that's a lot of the, uh, of the steroid. I know he's big in it. Um, I know there'll be another catcher on here that will probably talk a little bit about the steroids as well. Um, so I think I, I, I have a feeling that's why Piazza was the, I mean, he's, he's top five, but I think if he didn't have that steroid question, would you be safe to think that he may have been a little bit higher on this list? Maybe so. Just because, I mean, I think, I think you'd be a little bit silly to argue that he's not the best offensive catcher to play, uh, unless you're considering Josh Gibson in the conversation as well. Um, there, as much as some of the guys who will definitely see, uh, higher on this list were good offensive players and even great offensive players. They weren't Mike Piazza level offensive players. Yeah. You know, I mean that 140 WRC plus from the catcher position for a career is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's so good offensively, and he, again, wasn't very good defensively that in today's game, he would probably be the backup catcher on your team and you're starting DH. Yeah. You know, he, he wouldn't be a guy that would catch every day. And just thinking about that, I wonder how much better his offensive totals would have been if he was a primary DH and only yeah. caught sometimes. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, you, you got to imagine those numbers would be a little bit higher. Uh, and it's just crazy to think that as good as he was, it could have been even better. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, he probably would have played more games too, you know? So anyway, yeah. all right. So Mike Piazza is at number five. Who makes it into number four? That would be Gary Carter. Gary Carter spent a 19 year career with the Expos, Mets, Giants, and Dodgers from 1974 to 1992. He's the first, and I believe he is the only Expo to be in the Hall of Fame or representing <laughs> Andre Dawson as well. Oh, Andre Dawson. That's right. He's also a he's also an expo. Anyway, is, is, is Tim Raines not uh, wearing an expo's hat? Um, I feel like Tim Raines went in without a team. He might have. There are a couple who did that. Yeah. So uh, he played in two thousand two hundred ninety six career games. Um, One sixteen weighted runs created plus. He's sixty first all time. Um, Oh, Melvin saying Tim Raines is also in as an expo. Um, he's 61st all time in war, 69.4, 35% caught stealing percentage, better than Piazza, but still not as high as some of the other guys. Uh, 11 all-star appearances, three gold gloves, and five silver sluggers. Gary Carter is one that I that I hear a lot whenever you get into the conversation about g- greatest catchers. Gary Carter's name comes up a lot. Um, in, in these conversations, very likable player, um, obviously a serviceable bat with the 116 weighted runs created plus, um, you know, and, uh, and serviceable. I mean, he's got three, three gold gloves, so I guess he's pretty serviceable behind the plate as well, but you know, he's, he's a very likable, um, catcher here. Um, so what is your take here on Gary Carter at, uh, Gary Carter is the number four catcher of all time. Yeah, I mean Gary Carter. He was a good offensive player, uh, but he was known in his in his day as being one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. I know his caught stealing percentage isn't as high as some of the other guys that we've seen on this list, but in terms of blocking behind the plate, uh, but especially in terms of game calling, Gary Carter was extremely highly thought of. Uh, you know his his career with the Expos uh, and then with the Mets as, as well. He was viewed largely as the best game caller 
in baseball at the time, which there were other really good catchers playing at the same time as Gary Carter in the seventies and the eighties. But uh, he was, he was so well-respected, so well thought of uh, during his day that it, it makes you, it makes you look at the numbers and almost take them with a bit of a grain of salt and realize that he had a bigger impact than just his numbers would show kind of like we were mentioning with Yadier Molina earlier on this list. But Gary Carter, uh, was a guy, and he even he played a little bit of third base and left field at times. And from what I understand, he was good out there too. Uh, that he was just a good athlete, which you don't always see at the catcher position. You you don't always see guys who are good athletes. It's always fun when they are. Uh, you know, like Yadier Molina is a pretty good athlete, especially when he's younger. Um, but Gary Carter, um, Gary Carter was a guy that you definitely definitely viewed as one of the best. Uh, defenders and game callers of his day and a 116 WRC plus is nothing to sneeze at offensively either. No, it's not. And, you know, I, I think, like I said, very much his likability is what is what brought him up here. Don't get me wrong. He's a great catcher, but I think the fact that he's super popular is also why he's up here as well. Sure. Uh, Yeah, definitely. So um, number four, Gary Carter, we're getting into the top three. Who is the third best catcher of all time? That would be, we talked about him earlier, Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra spent a 19-year career with the Yankees and Mets from 1946 to 1963, and then again in 1965, where he would later manage with the Mets. Um, he uh, played in 2,120 career games with a 124 weighted runs created plus, so he had a bat to boot, 94th all-time, uh, tied for 94th all time, same uh, same uh, war as Mike Piazza, 63.7. He had a 49% caught stealing percentage, um, very good behind the plate, a 15-time All-Star and won the MVP in 1951, 1954, and 1955. And I believe he is, I believe he's tied for the most World Series rings ever. Am I correct? Uh, I believe that is the case. Uh, Bill Dickey is eight. Yogi was nine. Is that right? Uh, Bill Dickey was eight. Bill Dickey was eight. So that sounds right. Yeah. I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up Yogi Berra while you, uh, while you talk about Yogi Berra here for a second. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, Yogi uh, was a guy who he, he almost has, has two, two uh, personalities. So he's got playing Yogi Berra and then post-career and interview Yogi Berra. You know, we know of, of his little, you know, silly quips he would give when asked questions. You know, right before one of his interviews, he was asked, what time is it? And he, mean, and he said, do you mean right now? <laughs> like you would ever ask what time it was at a time that wasn't right now. Uh, you know, things like that. Yogi Berra was, was a, a funny guy, very big personality. Uh, but on the field, he was a killer. You know, he was a guy, he, he would go out there despite being listed at five, seven, and probably being a little bit smaller, despite being one of the smaller guys on the field. Uh, he had a lot of power in the catcher's position. It was, uh, he had the record for most home runs by a catcher uh, when he retired, that was broken by Johnny bench. And then later by Mike Piazza. Uh, but he had the record at the time of his retirement and he was a good defensive catcher who had uh, a very good pop time himself. We talked about pop time earlier when we were talking about Roy Campanella, but Yogi Berra would kind of spring out of his out of his crouch uh, and almost stand up to receive the ball uh, in order to throw out base runners and 
I'm sure that cut down on his pop time a little bit uh, to be able to get up so quickly. But just just a very good player. Uh, I always knew that Yogi Berra was very good and one of the best catchers of all time. But until I did a little bit more research into actually the player on the field that Yogi was, not just the World Series wins and not just all the all the silly things he said off the field after he retired. But when I actually looked at the numbers, I, I realized how good Yogi Berra was. He wasn't he wasn't just one of the best catchers of all time. He is one of the two, three, four best catchers of all time. I think number three is a good spot for him on the list. Uh, I think he's he's a guy that um, was probably a touch overrated when he uh, when he retired and is now underrated because it's been so long that people have forgotten how good that Yogi Berra was. He, he's yeah. he's just an excellent, excellent player, excellent catcher, and and from all accounts, just a, a good human being, uh, fun personality as well. When he died, I think it was in 2015, yeah. uh, the baseball world was worse off than they were when he was still living. No, yeah, I agree. So I just I just looked. Um, he is the uh, winningest World Series. He has the most World Series rings at 10. Um, conveniently enough, everybody else on the list are Yankees. So, you know, um, but yes, Yogi Berra has 10 World Series rings. It's the most all time, still the most all time. And yeah, you know. It's funny because we had a private conversation and when this, when this, when I uh, unveiled this list in the private conversation, I had talked about, uh, is Yogi Berra really top three? And then the more and more I got into it and I was like, I, yeah, I guess he is top three. He's great defensively, great off, uh, you know, good offensively. You know, he's a good all around catcher. And on top of that, he's a great, he's a great person. He was a great ambassador for the game. He was a good manager when he was there. He was a great, you know, a uh, great uh, announcer, great interviewer. And um, yeah, I, 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 with more research, I don't have any problem with Yogi Berra being number three. I, I'm good with that. Um, so, and it's nice to see that he's recognized with that. Cause I agree when we talk about catchers, we don't talk about Yogi Berra very often. It takes, you know, four or five names before you get to Yogi Berra. So, you know, I think it's good that he's up here. He should be in the conversation with the greatest catchers of all time. And number three is a good list or a good number for him. Um, so, Let's get into number two, our number two catcher of all time, Pudge Rodriguez. Ivan Rodriguez spent a 21-year career career with the Rangers, Marlins, Tigers, Yankees, Astros, and Nationals from 1991 to 2011. He played in 2,543 career games. That's 51st all-time. So we talked about the... uh, we talked about the durability of Carlton Fisk. Now, I believe he was, if I remember correctly, he was helped by the DH position as well, since he played on a few of these AL teams, but he played in 2,543 games as a catcher, no less um, with a career slash line of a 296 average 334 OBP and a 464 slugging 104 weighted runs created plus. I thought he would have a higher, a higher weighted runs created plus than that, but nonetheless still slightly above average. A 69.2 war is tied for 63rd all-time. He has a 46% caught stealing percentage, um, 14 all-star appearances, won the 1999 AL MVP, has 13 gold gloves, and seven silver sluggers. Uh, Pudge, in my opinion, I always thought of him as an offensive catcher. And the more research I did, he was actually more of a defensive catcher. He was great defensively, good blocking, good framing, um, good throwing arm, controlled the running game very well. 
And it was, it was no wonder he played on so many teams and played for as long as he did because he was an asset behind the plate defensively. And, you know, he could hold, he could hold his own when it came to offensive, um, offensive performance. This is the other catcher that we were talking about with, you know, we could talk about the steroid conversation. I know he was kind of caught up in, you know, accusations of taking steroids. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's like Mike Piazza where he took Andro and then stopped, or if ever, if people just suspected he took Andro. Um, I know there was, you know, he's pudge because, you know, he's, I guess this falls under angels criteria. He had a dad belly for a while. Um, and then towards the end of his career, he got skinnier. Right. And they asked him, well, what, what's the secret? How did you lose this much weight? And I believe his response was diet. He watched the way he ate and stuff, which it very well could, especially when you're an athlete, like, like pudge. I mean, you know, like I changed my diet and I lost 30 pounds in two and a half months. So it can definitely be done. It's not such a far-fetched thing, but you know, he has had that, he has had that steroid, you know, PEDs, um, conversation. He's been in the conversation. He's had accusations. So who knows? We'll never know anymore whether he is or not. Um, he is in the hall of fame and, um, a great defensive catcher in my mind, he's probably an underrated defensive catcher, unless maybe I was just living under a rock and didn't know that he was that good of a defensive catcher. Um, so Kevin, what do you think of pudge here at number two? Uh, first I I do feel a little, a little embarrassed that I didn't mention that Carlton Fisk was the original pudge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should have mentioned that earlier that uh, Yvonne Rodriguez was, was called Pudge second. Um, but Pudge Rodriguez was, uh, and I'm a couple years older than you, not many, but a couple years older than you. And, and I got to see a lot of Pudge's career and he was pretty much regarded as if not the best defensive catcher of all time, uh, one of the best defense defensive catchers of all time. And I think that's an accurate description uh, he, he was a guy that not only could throw runners out, you know, 46% caught stealing percentage uh, is one of the highest ever for such a large sample size. Uh, but he also was elite at calling games, elite at blocking, um, blocking balls in the dirt. He would also like Yadier Molina throw behind runners uh, and pick them off, especially at first base. That wasn't uncommon for Pudge to do. And he had a few seasons where he was really good offensively. Uh, but there is, as you mentioned, the steroid cloud. Um, as far as I know, there was never a positive test for Pudge, even in the 2003 anonymous tests. I could be uh, mistaken on that, but there are uh, reports from uh, Jose Canseco, the, the steroid king, so to speak, uh, <laughs> who, said, who says that he injected Pudge himself. You have to take that with a grain of salt because it is Jose Canseco. He sometimes hits it uh, square on the head and is completely accurate in what he's, what he's saying about steroids. And sometimes he just makes things up because he's looking for attention and he's crazy. So we don't know whether or not to believe Jose Canseco. Uh, but unfortunately for Pudge, that's not the only place where the suspicion comes from. There were two different times in his career where he went from, you know, being a little bit thicker, but also kind of muscular to, you know, like 25, 30 pounds lighter. In, an, in one off season and he got squirrely when asked about it and said it was diet. Um, and so there, there is a lot of suspicion uh, around pudge. You know, one of the times he lost weight was right around 
the time that the the Mitchell report uh, stuff was happening, and the other was right when uh, steroids were going to start becoming punishable uh, with suspensions in baseball. So it seems like interesting timing for someone to lose so much weight. Uh, so the the suspicion uh, the, the suspicion isn't there for no reason. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so he he's a guy who if you take out the the steroid stuff is. I think a top three catcher of all time, pretty securely, you know, you could, you can make an argument for one, two or three. Uh, but again, you have to answer the PED question. Yeah. So, you know, we've had this with a number of our, with a number of our people on the list here, we've had a rod, we've had Barry bonds. We've had Roger, uh, not Roger Glenn. We have um, Pudge. We've had, you know, we've had all of these steroid guys. So, you know, it's just it, at this point, it's either you do or you don't type of thing, you know. So Pudge Rodriguez at number two, but he was not number one who was listed by Baseball Life as the number one catcher of all time. And you know what? I wouldn't have I wouldn't have voted any other any differently. Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench spent a 17-year career with the Reds from 1967 to 1983. Played in 2,158 games. He has a 125 rated runs created plus. Pretty good offensively. He has a 74.8 war, tied for 44th all-time as a catcher. He has a 43% caught stealing percentage. 14-time All-Star, 1968 Rookie of the Year, and then won the MVP in 1970. And in 1972, should have played on the Giants if he's doing this even year thing. 1968 Rookie of the Year, 1970 MVP, 1972 MVP. Might as well have just kept going. Uh, And then he has 10 gold gloves. In my mind, Johnny Bench encapsulates both an offensive catcher and a defensive catcher. He was good at both. He was great at both. There was, you know, you have Pudge, who you have Pudge Rodriguez, who served you know, who held his own was just a, it was just an okay bat and, but really good defensively. You have Yadier Molina who again, okay, not great. And, and the bat, but really good defensively. You have Mike Piazza who's really good offensively, but was not great defensively. Johnny bench, I think was a good mix of both a great, um, a great offensive player could, and really could produce at the plate and could produce behind the plate defensively. Um, you know, great defensive numbers, Got has a pretty good caught stealing percentage. And again, he's another one, another likable guy. And, you know, he was the dude behind the big red machine, right? So, I mean, and you don't see, I was just talking about this with Angel, who's in the chat right now. I think it was Angel, it was either Angel or Corey. You don't see, it was Corey, it was Corey Decker. You don't see a... Um, you don't see a dynasty without a good catcher. You don't see really good teams that have names like the big red machine without a catcher like Johnny bench without a franchise catcher. And I think he is the epitome of a franchise catcher good at both plate uh, um, defensively and offensively. Johnny bench, our number one guy. What is your take here on Johnny bench as our number one catcher of all time? Yeah, to me, Johnny Bench is the greatest catcher of all time. Um, when I mean, you said a lot of it, right? When you look at offense, he is one of the best offensive catchers of all time. When you look at defense, he's one of the best defensive catchers of all time. And 
there's not very many guys who can say both of those things right. and it be true. You know, he was he was absolutely dominant for a stretch offensively and then good the rest of his career offensively. And he he's considered one of the strongest throwing arms from the catcher position ever, you know, alongside guys like, you know, Pudge Rodriguez, Yadier Molina, uh, Benito Santiago. He's considered to have a, a, a crazy strong throwing arm uh, early in his career. Though he gave up a lot of steals, that was one thing, but he adapted and got better. Uh, I think it had less to do with the arm and more to do with his, his popping out of his crouch, I think was a little slow, but he grew to learn how to do that well. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, before coming over to the Reds, Joe Morgan had the most steals against Johnny Bench of any other player. <laughs> he played with the, the Astros and the uh, Colt 45s, as they were known before the Astros. Uh, Joe Morgan swiped a bunch of bags against Johnny Bench. So Johnny Bench vowed to learn how to throw out runners, and he did, and he got much better at it. And thankfully for him, uh, Joe Morgan joined his team and couldn't steal against him anymore. So that was uh, that was a help to his career, but uh, a very good winner as well, who uh, led people well, from what I understand. You know, Joe Morgan was a great person and a great player, but he was he was pretty quiet. He wasn't as much of a of a vocal leader on the team, but on a on a team that had the craziness of everything that is Pete Rose and then a handful of other big personalities as well. Johnny bench kind of reined them all in to a certain degree, uh, helped, helped them, uh, you know, win two world series championships in the seventies. Um, and you know, that's, that's not, uh, that's not a small feat. Um, you know, there's not too many teams that, that win two world series championships, um, other than the Yankees, <laughs> which every Yankees fan will be so glad that I just said that. But other than the Yankees, there are not very many teams that win two championships with basically the same group of players. But Johnny Bench's big red machine did. And uh, there's a there's a funny a funny story uh, about Johnny Bench in the 70s. Sparky Anderson, the manager of, of the Reds, was talking with Bench because he was he was one of the leaders on the team. He's like, what do you think? Uh, about trying to trade for Phil Necro from the Braves. You know, the Braves were, were kind of having some, some down times in the, in the late seventies and early eighties. And Johnny Bench was like, Necro is a great pitcher, but if you trade for Necro, you better trade for his catcher too. Cause I ain't catching that knuckleball. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've ever watched a good knuckleball or tried to catch one yourself, you understand exactly where Johnny Bench is coming. Dude, it's from. not fun. It is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it, it just it, it just goes to show a little bit of Johnny Bench's personality as well there. But uh, to me, the best catcher of all time. I don't think there was a question. I think really when we got when 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 I put this poll out, I was like, if it's not Johnny Bench, I am quitting this whole series. Like that was one of them. I was like, if Johnny Bench is not number one, I am not putting this on the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, um, yes, Johnny Bench, a good choice at the number one catcher of all time. And that is our top 10 catchers of all time. We've gone all the way around the diamond. We've done infield, we've done outfield, and we've done catcher. So now coming into um, we're coming into the final stretch here and we are going to be doing our, um, what do you want to call it? Oh, I got to stop sharing the screen. Um, we are going to get into the other part of the battery, the pitchers going into next, uh, going into next Tuesday. We'll start with starting pitchers. And then, um, I did, I, did we do relief pitchers? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, we're going to do pitchers, um, 
going into this, we'll have either one or two weeks for whatever reason. My, uh, my we got kids back. I got, um, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, I'm a public school teacher and we just came back from Christmas break. So now my brain's fried. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we will have at least starting pitchers, probably relief pitchers as well. Um, we'll have two weeks and it should be a fun time. I can't wait for that discussion. Any parting comments, Kevin, before we sign off here? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if, uh, if you've got the list or not, but we did vote on relief pitchers. I will throw that out there. We we did vote on. Then I'm, I'm sure I got a spreadsheet for it. So. And if you thought Johnny Bench was obvious at number one, wait till relief pitcher comes out. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, I, I should have mentioned this when, when Yachty came on. I actually have an autographed card of his dad, Izzy Molina, which is kind of a, a cool little piece of memorabilia. Izzy wasn't nearly the catcher that Yadier was, but just a just a cool little thing. Yeah, that is cool. Um, Yachty for me anyway, Yachty was a great catcher that I liked to watch. Um, he was a great person. He was a great catcher to watch. I like to emulate my catching game from Yachty or Molina, especially the way he threw and stuff. I would study video of how he threw because I wanted to throw like him. Um, so very it, quick throwing motion too. Very, very quick. Yeah. I got, yeah, I got a relief pitcher. I don't know why I didn't think about it. And yeah, it's going to be very obvious. So, um, you know, I, I, I liked watching, watching Yadier Molina play. Um, and to me, that was enough. You know, if I wanted to emulate a game after you, you were a good player. So anyway, that, yeah, that's that. Yeah. A couple of underrated catchers mentioned in the, in the chat as well, that didn't even make the, just missed the cut list uh, that I want to give a shout out to, you know, Jorge Posada, the Yankees, very good career. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lori McLean mentions Mike Sosha. Uh, Mike Sosha, underrated career as a catcher. I know there are mixed feelings towards Mike Sosha uh, in your neck of the woods with Angels fans. Uh, Some love him, some hate him. Uh, But Mike Sosha had a very underrated career as a catcher, for sure. I have very mixed feelings about Mike Sosha. Um, But yeah, Mike Sosha, um, Jason Veritek. Jason Veritek was another one, underrated career um, with the Red Sox. Um, he knew how to lead a tough sports market like, like Boston. So, you know, I mean, good catchers all the way around, but they didn't make the top 10. Yeah. Shout out to Brian McCann, underrated, brave catcher, Brian McCann, very good career. He's not going to be a hall of famer, but he's definitely hall of very good, very good career. Brian McCann want to give him a shout out as a Braves fan. So before we sign off privately, we were talking about AJ Pierzynski too. Yeah. Hey, under underrated career, annoying career. Yeah. But underrated career. Only person I've ever seen been able to steal first. <laughs> yeah. That was, much. My, that was against my angels too. Um, anyway, so we could, we could sit here and just start. We could, we could be the two guys that just name that just name baseball players and be happy for the next three hours. Um, <laughs> Love it. Love um, yeah. Right. All right. So this concludes the, catcher's edition of the greatest of all time series from the um baseball baseball life groups uh total bases podcast total bases express show thank you for listening and uh we will come next week next tuesday with the starting pitchers rankings and until next time have a good one everybody